Most people know about Google's no-paid-link policy. A lot of people complain about it, but few people have really dug into the semantics of what Google says when they talk about link building. In today's episode, we are taking a look at Google's actual words and explain what they mean in real life and why the no-link policy is ultimately good for you, even if you're a gray hat SEO. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am with Mark today. I'm not going to do a weird intro. He hates it. You guys know it. Let's not do that. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Let's talk about paid links. What does Google say? Like, let's just start with Google's word because I feel like uh, people just know that it has a blanket statement that Google doesn't want incentivized links, paid links, etc. But nobody has actually gone onto Google's help tools, like help Search Console help, and they actually have a whole section on link schemes where they are fairly detailed on what is good and what is bad in terms of links. And I think let's start digging into that and then talk about this. So go ahead. Okay. So I, I just want to say this is actually the first time I have read this today. So I don't know whether this has changed over time or whether they've added more to it or, or not. It is updated every couple of years. Like every couple, there's like slight alterations, you know, and usually you get an article on search engine line or something when that happens. You hear a lot of people in the SEO industry correctly, maybe if you take a certain view, say that all links are attempting to manipulate page rank. Therefore, there's no such thing as a white hat link or a black hat link. Everything's gray. I, I understand why people take that position because of the first paragraph of what Google says on their website. The first paragraph says, any links intended to manipulate page rank or a site's ranking in Google search results may be considered part of a link scheme and a violation of Google's webmaster guidelines. This includes any behavior that manipulates links to your site or outgoing links from your site. So if you just take that, there's more to it, by the way, so don't think this is all there is. But if you just look at that, one easy interpretation of what's being said there is that any link that exists, anytime you create a link, which isn't with just, the intent of manipulating page rank. Well, yeah, right. Well, the intent uh, or of manipulating the search results, which would be, you know, SEO is all about manipulating search results. A manipulation, the word usually has sort of negative connotation for it. But at the end of the day, we're trying to rank higher. So we're trying to manipulate the search results, right? Well, I mean, that's one interpretation for sure. But the issue I have with this is that people take this sort of in a silo and they will understand what's being said here to mean that any link is a manipulation, any link that's being built, any guest post, any super high quality editorial link that you negotiate is a violation. And I don't believe that that's the case because immediately after they have this paragraph, they go on to give some examples. And they say the following are examples of link schemes which can negatively impact a site's rankings in search results. And there's five that they give. The first is buying or selling links that pass page rank, so do follow links. The second is excessive link exchanges. Oh, by the way, before that, the first one, it also says if you give any kind of incentive, like free products, et cetera, in exchange for links, that also is included in paid links and buying links. 
Yep. And then the third one is large scale article marketing or guest posting campaigns with keyword rich anchor text links. Four is using automated programs or services to create links to your site. And five is requiring links as part of terms of service, such as if you have an app or some kind of plugin where it forces Without people. giving the choice to put a nofollow link. So you can still require a link with a nofollow yeah. as long as you let people opt in. So what these five bullet points do is they add a massive amount of context to the previous paragraph. So if you just read the previous paragraph, you may be thinking that any link is a violation. But now that you've read the examples they give, and then if you go back and read the first paragraph, I think what they're doing here is they're being very clear about saying what's not okay. And you know, one of my big sort of things that irk me is when people say there's no such thing as white hat or black hat link building. It's all shades of gray. And I think I even said that once because like I- You um, hadn't read this, that's right. I hadn't read this, yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, I said, oh, well, all these smart people are, are saying this, so it must be true. But having read these five bullet points now, I, I, I think to myself that that doesn't seem right, actually, because there, there's definitely a distinction between the things which Google is calling out in these five bullet points and things which, you know, you would associate with the term white hat links, you know, like high quality guest posting. Yeah, I mean, I think... There's two parts to this, right? I think, first of all, the first part that says basically anything intended to manipulate page rank or rankings is uh, can be considered a list scheme. It's a blanket statement. Like the, what, what I compared it to in the notes is, uh, you know, in countries where like there's one political party, that's part of the philosophy podcast that's coming up, by the way. <laughs> in one country where there's one political party that's like, you know, dominating, they pass these kind of like blanket laws that anyone can be cut on about because they're so vague. And so if they want to eliminate, like, say, political opposition, they're able to catch these people on breaking the law because, you know, it's, it's so vague, like you went on a website or something. And so as a result, this is exactly Google doing this. Basically, this statement, the first sentence, gives them the opportunity to tell to you, you've been doing SEO, you have been using your link scheme, this is why we're penalizing you. So this is... The first phase, which is essentially the theory, like, you know, the, the, the big statement. But then the examples they give is more aligned with the actual enforcement of the rules that happens. So another example for real life was uh, cannabis I had. So, you know, a lot of countries, in a lot of countries, cannabis is illegal. However, it's tolerated. Like if you get caught with it, with cannabis by the police, you'll not get arrested or anything provided you don't have a large quantity on you. So it's like an example where the law says something, say something, but the reality and the enforcement is, is different from what the law is, and it is known by all parties, and it is going that way. And, and there is reasons for that, and we'll talk about, about this a little bit later. But So for me, that's the, the, the two parts there is. There is the theory, like how far we were willing to go if we have to, if there is some kind of odd case that's kind of escaping the examples we're giving you below, we can still catch you for link scheme for pretty much any SEO that we don't deem correct in that case-by-case -case basis. But most general enforcement revolves around buying and selling links, incentives for links, excessive links and link exchanges, massive guest posting campaign, large-scale article marketing, et cetera, et cetera, automated program. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. This is quite eye-opening for me. And the, the one that really catches my eye is the second one. It says excessive link exchanges, link to me and I'll link to you, or partner pages exclusively for the sake of cross-linking. 
But what's most interesting is they use the word excessive. So that implies that some link exchange is okay. A lot of studies have shown that it's okay, actually. I mean, probably I can ask Michel to look at these actually link exchanges, you know? Yeah. At least like mutual linking sites that link to each other, how they're doing SEO. That'd be know? interesting, yeah. But uh, from what I've seen from other people looking at this, link exchanges have been okay. And it's funny because in the SEO community, because of that sentence, people see link exchanges as like a terrible thing to do. It's just going to penalize your site right away and, and even one link exchange you're in trouble. I don't think too many people who have been in this industry are, are seriously think that, you know, if you do the, do one or two, you're going to get in trouble. But it's certainly me. Like, I, I didn't know that one or two was like kind of okay, it seems, in, in there in, in Google's books. And I'm kind of rethinking our link building, link exchange policy on this <laughs> now. Well, uh, the thing as well is, is, once again, all of these things are broad. They don't give you numbers or anything like that. They say excessive. And so what is excessive, you know? Is 20 excessive or is 200 excessive, you know? And that, once again, it goes back to the, the first statement, which is this blanket statement. For all these things, it's up to the current interpretation of the enforcement of Google's spam team. And that interpretation does change over time. It's not always been the case that things got more looked at. Like, guess all guest posting was considered quote unquote white hat by Google before it got abused by SEOs. Like, a lot of people, like, even there's videos of Mad Cuts recommending to do guest posting to grow your ranking, which is less of the case now because there has been tools like my blog guest, et cetera, that literally ended up being de indexed by Google because they were completely abusing the guest posting system. They kind of went the other way because I remember Mad Cuts as well. Really, like many years ago, released a video saying if, you, mad, if yeah. you're doing guest posting, you should probably stop because but, of the abuse. But the reality is, like, it's it's somewhere in the middle of that, you know, because they they never went after people who were legit doing it. They were just going after the sort of guest post farmers, if, if for want of a better word. What do you think of the? third one it says large-scale article marketing or guest posting campaigns with keyword rich anchor text links second time you made that mistake. Yeah. first of, first of, first of all first of all does this mean that large-scale article marketing or guest posting campaigns are fine as long as they don't have keyword rich anchor text yeah i was gonna say is it an and condition or an all condition <laughs> like if you look at it i think there's this like uh is it the oxford comma or something they use in this in this situation no i mean there's no comma here right to be honest i think if you do large scale article marketing without keyword rich anchor text it's not important but you got to think about google penguin right so google penguin is made to like is made to catch these things like large scale article marketing a large scale guest posting with high exact match anchor text type stuff it's like when Penguin came out, the highest correlation was exact match and context for the size that got penalized, right? So this is something that is baked in, and I guess that's why they're introducing it here. But what makes it interesting for me is that they don't say, you know, article marketing is posted on these article directories, you know, like uh, I, I don't think it exists anymore, but like ESA and articles at the time, et cetera. But they say large scale, meaning low scale, small scale is okay and, and actually might help your rankings. If they, if they say that it's an abuse, if you do a lot of it, they're basically admitting that it works, you know? And so, so like, the question is, should you actually do, like, like, should you make a list of high-quality article directories and just, you know, put some cheap articles in there linking to you? Same with guest posting campaign. Guest posting campaign is an interesting one to me because, like, I had an example. I had a, a practical example that I wrote in the notes, 
and that's uh, Buffer.com. So Buffer.com is a social media scheduling software that you've probably heard about if you're using in this kind of software. It allows you to you know, build a queue of posts to post on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And Buffer are a pretty big company now, but when they started, probably like six, seven years ago, they grew almost exclusively with guest posting. Like really, Leo, one of the co-founders of that company, would publish in the online marketing world up to two to three guest posts per day when they started. And now this site has a million plus search traffic and is one of the biggest social media sharing tool out there. And so my question is, if we are seeing such successful examples of this, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not really matching the guidelines in this case. They definitely, like, they were not... I think one thing that is interesting is the goal of their guest posting campaigns was as much the links as it was to grow the awareness and doing real marketing and reaching the audiences, you know, on high quality sites. And they were fine. Whereas if you do guest posting, let's say on sites with no audience, et cetera, just like, you know, you know, nobody's going to read that guest post just for the links. And so... What makes it very interesting for me is like any links intended to manipulate page ranks, da, 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 da. What if the primary goal of the campaign you're running is not links, but you know what I mean? Like, but you're getting links. So that, that would mean like get posting on high quality sites where, you know, the readership overlaps with your potential readership and things like that. Then how does Google make the difference, you know? It's impossible to determine the intended result. Like if you don't know what SEO is and you're just doing guest posting to, I don't know, like build relationships or for some other reason. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> that That's why it's, it makes very little sense, right? It does, but you also have, to, I mean, we live in a world where Google is the judge, jury and executioner in this court, essentially. So yeah, yeah. yeah you don't really want to like try and cross them because you don't in most cases you don't even have a chance to argue your case let alone you know have a fair fair trial as it were here's another example let's say i buy a sponsored post on a site and i'm assuming that the sponsored post is going to no follow the links to my site so that it's compliant with google's link schemes rules like they explained a bit later on the paper that if you no follow incentivize links then it's fine and the site forgets to know follow the links. Who gets penalized? Yep. So all I want to say is there is a lot of edge cases with this whole thing where I just can't see Google being able to enforce this properly. And what that probably means in real life is that there's probably a lot of leeway into that Google seeing these things, but not necessarily penalizing you for this. So what they're writing as examples is probably the most common cases and the cases where they are the best able to identify what is a paid link or not, like these massive, like keyword rich and cortex guest posting or like automated tools like SEMUC and stuff and buying and selling is for page rank. Although this one is complicated to see, I guess maybe with the Deserve tool, they can get some data, but it's, but the rest, like if you just twist it. So as I said, make the goal of your, campaign, not links, but rather like reaching an audience or other things, whatever, like working together, then I just can't see how Google would catch that and would penalize that by fear of false positives. Yeah, that's an interesting point because you have, 
if you're Google, you have what you would sort of label, you know, the safe area. And then you have the other side, you know, the, the area where you penalize people. But then how big is that no man's land in the middle where they're not really sure? If Google chose to, they could try and make their enforcement, you know, come up right to the very edge of the safe area. So as soon as they catch you or they think they catch you buying one link, then they penalize you. I just don't see that happening anytime in the future. And it just doesn't seem like that's anywhere close to happening right now, judging by the number of people we know that, that buy, buy and sell links all the time and, and get away with it for, for long, long periods of time. There's probably, you know, they probably, Google probably hold themselves back quite a lot because they're never really able to truly, hunt with, with close to 100% accuracy, tell whether a link's paid or not or whether it's part of some excessive link exchange or, or, or not. So they're probably only penalizing the extreme cases. But again, you know, how extreme is extreme? Uh, it's, it's very hard to quantify. I think they probably have buckets of um, trust, you know, full sites. So they probably have like sites they consider spammy, sites they consider, you know, iffy, sites they consider good and sites they consider excellent. Let's say they have four buckets, you know, and then probably the tolerance for these kind of things just increases the best bucket you're in. So if you're like in the excellent size and there's a site that's flagged that's maybe paid, there's a link that's flagged that's maybe paid, you, you won't get in trouble. I mean, if you buy a link to Amazon, they're not going to drop in rank. But if you are, you know, an iffy site or consider the spammy site, then you might be monitored a lot more. And these, these kind of like matches with paid links, intensivized links, uh, automated tools, etc., will trigger a lot easier. They will, you will have a lot less leeway. And then as a result... Yeah, that, that would make sense. I'm sure, I mean, we're just hypothesizing here, obviously, but I'm, I'm sure the actual implementation of that's like massively more complex and they have a million different levels or something. But that's that would make sense to have such an approach, yeah. Yeah, you could imagine like a really, like a link from like a site that is in a higher bucket than you gives you points to go to the next bucket and a link from a site that's in a bucket below you just drags you down, things like, you know what I mean? Like with the link graph and stuff and mentions and brand mentions and people Googling your brand, stuff like that. Like all of these data could be correlated to give you some kind of spam score, basically. But then we're also assuming that, you know, we live in this binary world of you're either penalized or you're not penalized. But most likely what's actually happening is that the, the penalization scale is from like, you know, zero to 100 and everybody's in it somewhere. You know, someone at some point has bought a spammy link to Amazon or paid link to Amazon.com. But that's, you know, as you said, that's not going to impact their, their domain, but they're, they're not 100% safe from that perspective, you know? Yeah, it's probably just a scale that's not linear so that like a few a few of these just barely touch your screen, yeah. you know. But then at the end of the day, that is the algorithm, the search algorithm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not all of it, but part of it, yeah. It's not just based on spam scores. It's just many other things like content relevancy, content quality, etc. But let's talk about, so I went actually on the um, proper PBN group on Facebook to ask people how intense the enforcement of Google on these rules was. And my perception before I asked was that they were a lot less active than they were when we were doing Grey Hat. And actually I was wrong. When I, I just literally asked on one Facebook group, like if anyone got like unnatural link penalties on Google Webmasters tool and how quickly they recovered and stuff like this. And just from that one post on one Facebook group, there's 10 people that replied that they got these 
these messages in the last six to 12 months. So quite a bit. But still, like when I talked to Matt Digity actually about it, he said it's fairly rare to get these manual reviews. Like out of like 50 gray hat sites that he's had, he said only two had been manually reviewed. So it's not a large percentage. Still quite a bit. It's still like uh, it's still like one in 25. So it's it's still, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, four and a half, something like this. But the funny part is that uh, most people managed to remove that penalty in just a few weeks. And that was, that really left me perplexed. And then what I asked when they said if they could remove is like whether the traffic got back to the level where it was before they were penalized or if they were below where they were, right? And about half the people said that they got all the traffic back. And Madigiti explained it by, and I, I believe in that, in the ghost link effect, you know, when you remove links, these are links. This kind of like, it's weird. Like, you, let's say you link to a page and then you remove that link and that link still counts. Like, it's recrawled by Google, et cetera, but for some reason, the page stays where it was even after the link is removed. And I talk quite a bit about this in the podcast with Karuf, like podcast 141. So if you, want to talk, if you want to hear about this, you can check this out. The other half of people had some degree of, of traffic decline, but it didn't seem like business breaking. You know, it seemed like it was a decline, not that crazy. And to be honest, it made me raise my eyebrows that Google didn't punish offenders more than that. So not only is the enforcement fairly like irregular, like it doesn't happen very often, only happens for the most offenders. But on top of that, the, the people that get caught actually do have a fairly quick way to get most of what they lost back. And it's much easier to deal with this than it was a few years ago. Like when Penguin came out, there was no disable tool. You just had to wait and wish Google just makes it easy on you. And some people literally lost traffic for years, you know? That's quite interesting. There's even a guy called Rick Lomas on that group that literally just built a service that just takes care of all of the penalty removal for you. So basically, you get you get penalized. You message that guy and he just takes care of it for you. And what it made me think of is like, okay, so given all these rules and everything that people have replied to this, like what is the main business model incentive in terms of like SEO that seems to make the most sense based on the way Google enforces all these things. And to me, and you might disagree, but it seems like the people that are winning the most right now, the people that are for the bulk of the SEO effort doing white hat SEO, like outreach, et cetera, all the stuff we do. But then let's say they have like a really juicy keyword along like position five or six, they just buy a couple of like paid links, high quality ones to these pages and they get to like number one or two and then they bank from that. And if there's any issue, they can just disable these few links and then they just, you know, get back to the, um, to the base level to where they were with the, just the pure white hat. They don't have to like dismantle every effort they've done, you know. I think there's a difference. Ultimately, it all comes down to risk tolerance because uh, there, there are different different degrees of risk. There's, there's always inherently a risk, even if you're... By the way, I just want to say we don't buy links. And if we ever do, we'll, we'll say it publicly on this podcast. But right now, it's just theoretical discussions. We are not buying links for our sites. Just saying out loud so that it's very clear to most listeners. Yeah. You know? So I, I think it all comes down to sort of risk tolerance. And why notice... On uh, in certain communities who who seem to be more into the the gray hat kind of link building side of things, is that they they seem to have like a lot of sites, you know, like dozens or hundreds. Of, I've seen people have, and so you know, if you have a few, one or two of them penalized, okay, it sucks, but it's it's not really a big deal if you if in the grand scheme of things, if they collapse. But if, if you have a one website and you're like all in on that, 
then any risk which materializes is going to be pretty catastrophic to you, you know, your bottom line and everything you're trying to do. So it kind of makes sense when you're kind of structured that way that you, you are a little bit more, I guess, cautious with it. Actually, that is one of the main points I have for the last section of this podcast. So keep that in mind. But I wanted to add to this that actually the day after I posted that question on that Facebook group, this guy who runs this um, penalty removal service was actually asking people if Google hadn't had been like a lot slower to reply to their reconsideration request lately, saying that one of them had been pending for three months. So it seemed like most people that gave me that initial feedback said they recovered in a few weeks. But the guy who runs the penalty recovery service seems to say that these times are increasing in some cases. So, you know, when I talked about enforcement policies, that's changing over time. It's exactly one of these things that could be happening. I don't know. I'm speculating here. But Google could on purpose, or like just because they have a long queue, maybe maybe they've been running more spam tests, etc., yeah, it could just be a staffing issue with some latest updates or something, you know. But like that affects enforcement, you know. Yeah, sure. And the, the, rea- the rea- if you're down for longer, then you know it hurts hurts more for sure. Exactly. So like it, it can affect decision making in terms of doing SEO, even if just Google's lacking of staff and they had no intention of doing this. He tweeted to John Mueller, who denied that it was longer, but Google has denied a lot of stuff that was true. And so I wouldn't uh, take that into consideration. And also it's a really small sample size, so don't take this for a truth. But it's, it's still interesting to see that there are still evolutions here. Just to get back to your question, though, because I don't really think I answered this. You said something around the best strategy being largely white hat, but then, you know, not being afraid to cross that that mental barrier and you know buy a few links here and there and do some stuff when the opportunity kind of arises and i think you're right for the vast majority of experienced marketers they already do that and it seems to it seems to work i think for you and i it's a little bit different as people who are teaching this especially to a lot of beginners it's very difficult to explain the kind of nuance between if, if I say, okay, you can buy links, but only some, you know, people are like, well, which can I buy? Which should I not? It's very difficult to teach that because we don't really know, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I even want to do it. I'm just, so I'm looking at someone like Tung, actually, he, Tung Tran from Cloud Living. He literally posted a case study where he did exactly that. The book of his size, White Hat, he has 2,000 linking root domains he got through outreach and, you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about. But, you know, I think he was number six on like a really big F8 keyword. And he just rented like really high, some really high quality homepage PBN links. And this keyword jumped to number one and now he's banking like crazy, you know. How long is he going to bank? Is he going to get caught and lose everything? I don't know. Um, what I'm just saying is that it happened, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's something that... It seems like a lot of people are doing these days, building the core of their site white hat so that if they have to run a disavow or something, the core of the site is healthy, you know? And they just like identify low-hanging fruit opportunities and just like can snap these rankings really quickly and then remove them in case there is any problem and get most of like basically get where they would be in white hat anyway within a few weeks because Google just gives you your traffic back in most cases. So that's what I wanted to say. Again, I'm going to repeat it because some people will come to me on Facebook or whatever and just say, oh, you're buying links now. We are not buying links. We are not recommending to buy links. But we want to debate about every idea possible in this market that is not illegal. And this is not illegal. Yeah. 
I, th- I think you kind of need this medium of a podcast to or, or a video maybe to like to explain it because there's so much like nuance and subtlety in this discussion when we post on Facebook or, or some of these platforms about this the bandwidth of the communication is somewhat shortened so yeah yeah so uh, that's why I'm trying I'm gonna repeat a few times because it's like I know like yeah it's not what we're doing but it's important to you know when you are in business it's important to evaluate every opportunity at every time and calculate the risk reward you know it's basically what this is. But before we close this podcast, I wanted to run a bit more theory crafting here, a hypothetical uh, situation where Google would allow paid links because a lot of gray hat people, they complain that, oh, like why Google is penalizing me, like paying for links is not so bad, da, 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 every other source of marketing. Like everyone does it, this is bullshit, why are you penalizing me, da, 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 da. And it's like, we're looking at our own personal situation, but we don't really think of the grand scheme of things, of what would happen if Google was like, sure, you can buy links, it's going to affect the algorithm, good fucking luck. Then, you know, you were talking earlier about, oh, these gray hat people, they have a lot of sites, so if one of them gets penalized, it's not very important, but if you're only running one or two sites, you know, the potential for loss is, is greater, right? And I think... It's at the core of understanding what would happen if that was the case. Because think about Amazon. Think about, I don't know, like Expedia, these sites. Imagine how much money they would lose from being caught by Google buying links. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying I don't know. I haven't looked. But if they were caught and like, you know, wiped out of the rankings instantly, we're talking millions per day, right? We're talking a lot of money. There's a lot of potential loss from even temporarily losing rankings and just overall just giving a massive opportunity to your competitors to acquire customers and kind of like take market share, you know? And this is something that these companies just cannot afford, especially for companies like Amazon, for example. Their margins are so low, they just cannot afford it. Being down for a day means that uh, the, the yearly profit would, would plunge, you know? Whereas when we are small guys, like... Losing traffic for even a month, it's annoying, but I've never seen anyone starve under a bridge from that. That's at the core of this, because if paid links were okay, guess what would happen from guys like Amazon Expedia? You would literally have millions of dollars flow to buy links from pretty much every website on the internet. And they would most likely take a lot of your organic traffic because Let's be honest, they can spend way more than you. There's no way you would compete on any pro- query that's somewhat profitable. And if you already buy links, I'm sure Amazon would make some sites sign like non-compete so they couldn't link to their competitors. And Yeah, exactly. And all, they would, have just, they would have multiple URLs, right? You would have Amazon 1 to 10, you know? All of website owners would start getting hammered by requests to, to buy links all the time, not just from Amazon, but from everyone. And then they'd all realize that they could make a lot more money selling links than they can blogging about yoga or whatever. And then the entire like natural landscape of, of Google and its ability to kind of determine what site is vouching for what other site legitimately would just evaporate because every link would be pay, paid more or less, you know, people would be deliberately no following links, which are. Yeah. So that they would literally outreach to you and be like, Hey, I'll link to you. It's no follow. You can pay me for making it do follow. Like I would do that. If, if Google was cool with that, why not? Just to be clear, we're, we're still talking about the hypothetical example here. <laughs> 
but bigger bigger companies with big budgets would buy lots of slash all the links basically and you know the little guys would not be able to compete with that the reason anyone can come in start a website and within you know a year or two compete in in many cases with 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 bigger brands and bigger companies is because of the kind of organic landscape of things and the fact that big companies are at least openly prevented from buying links at the scale buying links at all really it's a beautiful balance like the bigger you get the more you have to lose so the less you take take risks you know and it's kind of like that's what creates room for small starters i'm sure within hours someone would create a marketplace for buying and selling links like an ebay style thing and you know people would just be bidding and it would it would just the internet would just go to shit not just that but if you think about page rank like water right it's like that's why people call it linkages and so like eventually when these companies have bought links from every single site most of the page rank on the internet will be focused on these sites even more than it is today like it is pretty heavily biased right now but it would be way more once they could they could put dollars behind this you know and so as a result they will eventually not even need you anymore especially if they own many properties because they will just have all the page rank on their own properties from the links they eventually will and if you're selling links you wouldn't even selling links sell links in the end because there would be nowhere to get page rank from because it just goes all to amazon and they don't link to you you know <laughs> so it's like eventually it would just literally dry out and become like a wasteland of sites that don't make any money and only the big companies it's like it's pretty interesting because if you look at it from this perspective you essentially realize that the environment that google has created is actually it's kind of like democracy everyone hates democracy when the vote comes up it's never your candidate that gets elected but we have never found anything better to essentially make it the most fair way to rule society for most people and it's kind of the same for the no paid link policy it's essentially an environment that actually allows small publishers like us or even mostly these gray hat people that actually buy links to strive the most they could in a world where people could vastly outspend them and essentially dry them out of any traffic and kill their entire business and you would end up working in an amazon warehouse instead of building websites <laughs> which is not what i wish to you but could happen so it's very you know when you take that step back you realize that actually Google are geniuses with what they're doing because between the the rules and the enforcement and the way they enforce it and it's the fact that they don't apply too many false positives etc and that people still make decent money doing everything that we do and small guys can still start today it gives the web diversity that would not exist if paid links were allowed I just want to add one more thing. If anyone wants to read the text we were talking about at the start of the podcast, just go to Google and search for the phrase link schemes and uh you'll see the support.google.com URL somewhere near the top there most likely. I thoroughly encourage everyone to to read up on that so they understand the the nuance of of what we're talking about there. I actually encourage everyone to read all of the search console help main articles in quality guidelines is going to give you a lot of insight on how google looks at things and it's quite different from the way most seos look at things like they're looking at it from the eyes of engineers and so on and it's pretty well written these days and it's not very long to read actually so i highly encourage you go through this it's a great education 
better than many SEO blogs out there. So go and read that. So that's basically it for this podcast, guys. Let us know if you enjoy these kind of like bigger debates, etc. I think, I hope it opens the eyes to some people that, you know, complain about Google all the time, etc. It's actually pretty good, the system they've built. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you are not subscribed yet, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcast, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. And I'm not going to keep the list going, but most big platforms. And if you enjoyed this kind of debate podcast, don't forget to leave us a review and let us know that you liked it. This is a good way for us to know what you like and don't like to hear about on this podcast. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Have a good week and see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.